Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about monetization, and you can find a blog post, an amazing blog post that Pern has written about the topic on authorityhacker.com slash monetize with a Z dash blog. And for this podcast, we have Mark and Perrin, so it's not just Mark and I this time. Perrin, welcome back to the podcast. There's been like heavy lobbying for you to be back, so welcome back. All right. Happy to be back. I don't back. get a welcome back. <laughs> no, we just know you're here. Like. <laughs> All right. Welcome back, Mark. Um, Thank you. Now let's get started. <laughs> so, why are we talking about monetization? Like, why now? Like, what's going on, Perrin? Yeah. So, monetization is something that may not be like super pressing, but it's something that I think about all the time. And I think when we are building authority sites, especially the way that we build them, you know, and we see tons of student sites and that sort of thing. I would say 90% of the sites monetize in the exact same way. They've got like an Amazon affiliate angle and they might have like an ad angle. And of course, people know that there are different ways you can do ads and there are different ways you can do products. But what I found when I was writing other blog posts where I was doing profiles on highly successful bloggers was that the people who are making lots and lots of money are monetizing in lots of different ways. And that kind of sent me down a rabbit hole of investigating monetization, seeing what options were out there, and to look into each one and you know see who was making money with them and kind of what they were all about. And it's always interested me because one of the things I found to be true in SEO is that traffic can either be difficult or it can plateau. So when I was building here, Pup, it exploded for like a year and then the traffic basically hit a plateau and I was having trouble growing it no matter what I did. And also, uh, you know, I've started new sites and some of them do really well, but some of them will stagnate early. And so there's this idea of like, what do you do if you only have a thousand visits a day or 2000 visits a day? And monetization seems like a really attractive answer to me because you don't need more traffic to make more money if you're continually optimizing your monetization. So the way I like to look at it is like if I have an affiliate site, usually with a standard affiliate site, the sorts of sites that I build, so like a penny shaved and here pup, the RPM for those sites was usually around like $50. RPM is revenue per thousand visitors. And looking at the highly successful bloggers that I was profiling, a lot of them had way, way, way higher RPM. So they don't list their RPMs usually. I was doing some math, but like people who didn't even sell their own products were getting RPMs of like $100, which was double what I was getting. So, you know, if I was making $8,500 a month on here, pup with a $50 RPM, I could have potentially doubled that to like $16,000, right? So the numbers seemed really attractive to me. And then I was running across folks with their own products who were doing even better than that. So more or less, like the sugar plums started dancing in my head. I was seeing dollar signs and then I started investigating it. And what came from that was a blog post that you guys can go read that uh, Gail just mentioned that was the biggest thing I've ever written. It may be it's like every the biggest time you publish post a blog post, literally. <laughs> I know, yeah, I have that problem. I used to try to like get under 3,000 words and it's like impossible for me. But it's like, so it was just like three weeks of me reading about nothing but monetization, talking to a bunch of cool folks. And so we wanted to write a post on it and then we wanted to use this podcast as a platform to talk a little bit about monetization and not go into depth for any of these, but to explain some of the cooler ones and to talk about whether or not they might be a good idea for an authority site, the way that we build them, or a bad idea, or maybe something in the middle. By the way, did any of that change your plans for your site? Yeah, it did. I'm working on two sites right now, and I'm monetizing them the same way I always have. I'm using affiliates and ads, of course, but I do have two specific things in the pipeline that maybe I'll talk about a little bit later uh, for both of those sites that I sort of stumbled across and learned more about when I was researching monetization and saw how other people were doing it successfully. And it seemed like I could apply it for my sites in my niches. So it really did. And it, it's exciting because 
just adding two more revenue streams, I feel like not only makes your site safer, but obviously you can bring in some more money. So what I like as well is when you work on monetization, like when you work on traffic, usually you have to invest money. So you have to invest money, a whole lot of time in like link building, in content, whatever it is. Like it's usually a, there's usually a money cost or heavy time cost for you to work on it, which kind of like adds more to the divider when you calculate your return investment for your websites. However, when you work on monetization, often, you know, like joining an extra ad network or joining like, you know, adding sponsored posts or anything that we're going to be talking about, it's like, it's often something that you do yourself, like you don't necessarily hire for that. And it actually like doesn't add to the cost balance, but it can increase the revenue a lot. So the return on investment multiplier of your site can be much, much higher when you work on that. I think the time, the yeah, time to see a return is very, can be like quite motivational as well. You know, normally when you're doing some kind of SEO, you, you know, come up with a new content hub and you invest in 250 new articles and you spend all that time posting it. And then it's like four five, six months later or something like that, that things start kicking in, the link building's going. So it's it, there's a bit of a lag between the work and the reward. Whereas with a lot of these, if you already have yeah. the traffic right now, you can go and you know conceivably do any one of these today and see a return tomorrow. The other thing too is that I feel like there's a really high ceiling for monetization. If when I was looking at all these bloggers who are you know making sometimes into the seven figure ranges and they're publishing income reports, that's how I was profiling them. When I was looking at them, it seems like they were almost addicted to monetization. Like you see their income reports and and it's not just Amazon affiliates and AdSense. It's like 30 things. Yeah. So I feel like there's always ways to add incremental revenue. And because there's like always ways to optimize with monetization and there's always new things to add or replace, the ceiling is just so much higher than, you know, tweaking Amazon affiliate articles or playing with AdSense optimization. Yeah, the, the thing I wanted to say as well is when you start working on that, when you start focusing on that, the benefits of building your own audiences, whether that's like retargeting lists, push notification lists, email lists, is so much higher because for a lot of these things, like once you are able to generate traffic by like snapping your fingers and you know it's there, you don't need to wait to rank in Google or anything like that. Like you can like implement these very quickly versus trying to rank pages as well. So everything we're going to talk about pretty much is the powers demultiplied when you actually build your audiences, etc. And a lot of these things, you probably won't be ready to implement them yet. However, starting to build the audiences that you can bring back to your site, so like collecting emails, collecting people on push notification lists, collecting people on just retargeting lists, even if you don't buy advertising. All these things, they allow you to deploy these things and you know see money literally tomorrow when you deploy a lot of the tactics we're going to talk about right now. So I know a lot of people are like afraid to build email lists and it's difficult and they don't know what to tell to people, etc. But still, like it's, it's, it's one of the... It's funny because everyone talks about building email lists and nobody does it. And, and nobody does it properly. And it's one of the things where we won't talk about traffic today, but this is powerful because with the push of a button, you can bring thousands of people to whatever you're going to be doing and that can bring money to your bank account today. So it's quite powerful. Yeah, so the way I kind of want to do this is I want to talk briefly about different types of monetization. I'll explain a little bit what they are. We're not going to go in depth because the blog post does that at like a nuclear level. <laughs> and then I will ask you guys whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea somewhere in between or for a certain person or whatever. So the first one is sponsored content. This came up a ton when I was looking at successful bloggers and I talked to Bjork from A Pinch of Yum, both in a podcast and he shot me a couple emails when I was doing the monetization blog post and they are really successful with sponsored content. They make like twenty or $30,000 a month with uh, sponsored content. What it is, is basically brands will pay you to write an article that mentions their thing in it. It is not an SEO thing. Links will be no followed. That's what Google recommends. And I think that's part of maybe even FTC guidelines. We'll have to double check on that and put it in the show notes. But Brands will pay for you just to write an article and mention their brand. In the case of Pinch of Yum, for example, Land of Lake might sponsor a post and then the recipe will include like Land of Lake's butter. So usually the people buying sponsored content are like really big brands with really big advertising budgets who aren't doing it for an SEO purpose. But lots of people are really successful with it. Pinch of Yum is highly successful with it. And I saw quite a few other people 
who are highly successful with it. So, Mark, do you think this is a good idea or a bad idea for an I mean, I think site? it's a great idea if you're in a sort of B2C type market. Health Ambition would be a good example of where this could work very well. I think the key is to, first of all, get in front of the high quality publishers or brands which would like to purchase sponsored content, which, you know, I know for smaller people that can be somewhat challenging. I think, as you mentioned, there's a there's a fine line here. Many, you, many people will approach you like asking for sponsored content when in fact what they really want is a paid link. So, you know, you have to be very, very careful of that. And I would also say that it's really a test of your own kind of quality guidelines because if you start accepting sponsored content from bad brands or people who have bad products, or, you know, you're going to lose credibility there and that can hurt you in the, in the long term. So as long as you're, I guess a litmus test would be, and this is kind of what in a way we do for a lot of the products we recommend on authority hacker, even though it's not sponsored content, it's more, would be more affiliate content is like, we need to really use it ourselves for it to be something we, in a meaningful way, for it to be something we, we would recommend. So, yeah, that's my view. Gail, what do you think? Good idea, bad idea? Uh, I want to do it on Health Ambition, actually. We're going to be rebranding the site, and then uh, the plan is to... It's like one of the motivations behind rebranding the site as well. I think for this to work, you need to have impressive numbers in terms of following. Like brands, if they're not here for the SEO, they're here to be in front of your audience. And once yep. again, I'm going to repeat myself, but if you can bring people back with a click of a button, it's going to interest brands a lot more. So building those, your social follower, building your email list, building, being able to retarget for cheap, that kind of stuff. Because usually this kind of sponsored content, the way it's paid is per thousand page views, actually. What's the name? Penny holder? That's how they work. Mm-hmm. You know? like they make a deal with a brand. They're like, well, we'll give you $100 per thousand page views on that sponsor article. And then they have like, they, they roll in their Facebook ads, they roll in their email list, et cetera. And they get like, you know, a million visits to that page and they get a lot of money. So I feel if you're not going to sell links, which a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people are like, oh, I want a piece of sponsored content on your blog. And you're like, I'm going to know follow the links and boom, they disappear. Yeah. So if they're not here for that, you need to, to have the muscle to bring people to that content. And if you're only relying on SEO, you don't really have it unless you put some small call to actions, but even then it's, it's pretty bad. So yeah, that works, but you need to do the homework first, I would say. But I'm very excited to do that next year on Health Ambition, actually. Next one is lead gen. Lead gen is something that I would classify as like a pseudo affiliate type of monetization. It's very, it was popular with lots of old school SEOs and still some hardcore SEOs nowadays. Basically, there are companies out there who will pay for a lead. So somebody's information who is targeted, they've expressed interest in something. And then you might like direct them to a squeeze page where they're cookied. And then if they give their information for like an insurance quote or something like that, then you earn a commission. We also see this with like local SEO page building, which is what, for example, lots of the source wave crowd likes to do where the build pages for dentists or lawyers in a certain city. Neuroplasty surgeons in in, uh, in Los Angeles, right? (laughs) Yeah, that sort of thing. And they will then contact people and say like, hey, we can give you quite a few leads. What are you willing to pay? And it's usually like $100 or $200 for these really expensive services. There are also platforms out there. Lots of people in the education space know of Quinn Street, where they'll give you widgets. You can install them on your site and you can earn money that way. There are some huge sites like it's like learn.org or learn.com, one of the two. They used to be educationportal.com. They monetize that way, and they do extremely well. They're a multi-million dollar company. So Legion is really profitable, but it could be a wonky fit with the way we typically build authority sites and the way our audience builds authority sites. So, Gail, do you think it's a good idea or a bad idea? Didn't you try on HairPub at some point? I did. What happened? It got. I installed all the widgets. It was for. It was like this pet specialized thing where they would scan your content and try to 
offer like relevant services for like veterinarians and that sort of thing. And I got something like 150,000 impressions without a single sale or without a single lead. So at least for my site with this one network, it was a total and complete flop. But that doesn't mean that it won't no, offer. Anybody. I think it's really the kind of keywords you rank for, right? So like when you rank on like, you know, how to stop, how to make your puppy stop barking, people are not ready, like they don't need the service. But when it's like something, maybe like emergency type keywords, or not even emergencies because people will go to Google Map, more like, I don't know, like tra- dog, dog walking in yeah. New York or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You need these local keywords, but the local keywords, they don't follow the same algorithm as the normal algorithm, right? It's like yeah. you, you get the local pack, and even the non-local pack results, they're very influenced by other factors, like an address in the neighborhood, in the footer, that kind of stuff, you know? Like local SEO is, is a complete different beast. So while lead gen is probably a good idea, it's, it kind of feels like the site needs to specialize around that to be successful, you know? So... I feel it's like it's an all or nothing. Like either you build like a whole section of your site that's like specialized and like you go crazy. You buy these like virtual, like these, um, you know, these mailboxes in all these neighborhoods and like change your footer a bit dynamically based on the page. You know, go nuts on like optimizing for local SEO. Otherwise, I would probably do something else. That's my feeling. I think it's terrible because (laughs) ultimately you are creating no value by having this business model. You're just trying to take value out of the the chain. So for anyone who's running like an authority site, I, I just don't see why you would do it unless it's on the like ultra, ultra, ultra high end. Like I, I forgot what it, the site you just mentioned a minute ago, but in, in that case, yes. Mm-hmm. For you know 95% of people listening to this, I'd say it's probably not something they should really waste your time with. Yeah. With the one exception of education and certifications, I think. If you have those in your niche, those might be okay to try, like dog breeding certification or whatever, because that's where it's not local and there are typically lots of legion opportunities available. What were you going to say, Gail? I was going to say I would consider doing that, like this kind of promo to an email list. So um, yeah. like when you opt in an active campaign, in most cases we can tell like which country you're in, et cetera. And most of these legion offers, they're like, Look at, like, you know, they're geographically limited. So we'll be able to, like, make a list of, like, U.S. people and, like, just randomly send an email saying, hey, you need health insurance? Click here to get the best quote or something. You know, that kind of lead gen, especially from these, like, comparison sites and so on. I feel we would make some sales there. It would probably not be the best offer, like, but it might be something that works better on warm traffic than on cold traffic as well. All right, next one is paid reviews. This is a little bit similar to sponsored content, but in many ways it's different. Paid reviews are where companies do exactly that. They contact you and they pay you to review a product. There are also platforms that have been popping up in the FBA era. Don't worry, we're going to talk about FBA later. Like Thomason, where you can get connected to people who are looking for quote-unquote influencers to do reviews of their products. Sometimes people just give away products for reviews, and other times people will pay you 100 200 whatever dollars to give an honest review of their product. So this can be a way to monetize. It can also be a way to get free swag. Maybe one of the benefits here is that so many of our authority sites have reviews built in that it could be an opportunity. But I don't know, Mark, what do you think? Good idea, bad Uh, idea? Again, I'm very skeptical of this kind of model just because it's such a fine line between doing a legitimate review and being paid for your time versus someone paying you to give a good review. I've been in the situation where people have done it or people have tried to do it in the past, not on Authority Hacker, but on other sites. And there's definitely, I mean, even with, with my sort of sense of, purpose or whatever there's definitely like uh you you feel obliged to be more positive than you would if you were not being paid to do the review and i think that's i mean that's obviously why these people want you to to do it they're trying they're trying to influence you in a positive way as well as to get your the message out there so yeah if you can sort of hold yourself to correct quality standards and stuff buy and the product something you you like and you perhaps use anyway then go for it if it's not then you just 
it can work and you can definitely make money on it people make do make money on it but just be very very careful because it's a slippery slope towards just accepting these left right and center and saying everything's good when when it's really not gail what do you think we've actually done it on atari hacker so when um when ahrefs released the keyword explorer they paid us to to make a video about it but like i was like look if i think it's terrible i'll say it's terrible and i'll still take your money that was essentially, and I was talking to Tim, which, you know, I, I know a little bit. So I told him as it is. And as Mark said, as long as you have, it was a good tool, by the way. But as long as you have these kind of moral standards, it's completely fine. But yeah, it's like, it's actually, um, you should always disclose when it's a paid review as well. Like in terms of the legality, in terms of the FTC, you should always say it basically at the beginning, at the end. Like that was a sponsored review. I like it. But like, I mean... That's the reason why I make a lot of enemies with Atari Hackers, not because of paid reviews, but just because we say what we think in general, you know? And mm -hmm. if you're able to do that, sure, but it's hard to come in that kind of authority in like bigger niches, you know? It's like we can do it in like online marketing because not a lot of people, you know, seriously talk about tools in online marketing. I mean, there's a few, but not a lot. So people are like seeking that exposure. Uh, whereas if we do that in health, for example, like, you know, we're definitely not in the same position in the health market and it would be a lot more difficult to impose our standards on the product providers. I think it's fine, provided you make it very clear at the beginning what you're about to do. Yeah, I would add on, add on to that, that the FTC in America requires you to do that. So you have to say, hey, this is a sponsored review. So yeah. not only are you ethically obligated, but you're also legally obligated. One of my problems with this too is... Just that it's tough maybe to get a real profit margin worth for the time. So when we read an article for Authority Hacker, it costs us quite a bit of money. And for a paid review to be worth the money, it has to be thousands of dollars at least. Yeah. Otherwise it's like it's like if it's like two hundred dollars, like we make more right. than that from a single article. Like I don't need your money to make that kind yeah. of money. And for a standard two thousand, three thousand word article on your normal authority site it's still going to be a couple hundred bucks so i think it can be tough to really squeeze out a decent profit margin and it's also difficult to scale which would be the other drawback but yeah. you know if you have a good audience and you're writing a lot about products it could be an opportunity so here this next one is what i consider the beast of this list it's something that i've always been interested in i've probably read more about this than any of the other ones on this list it's like my dream thing to get into. Lots of people are having success with it right now, and that is drop shipping. So drop shipping, if you don't know what it is, is a way to sell physical products on your site without holding any inventory. So someone buys something on your site, you're essentially a retailer, you pass that order along to the supplier or manufacturer, and they ship it directly to your customer, and you get the profit that you've marked up from the wholesale price. So there's kind of a new wave, maybe even a little bit of a gold rush with drop shipping. There are tons of people having lots of success with random Shopify stores. However, the difference between us and them most of the time is that those folks are typically doing it with like Facebook ads. And a lot of us don't run Facebook ads. We're more SEO centric. And those are the kinds of sites we run. Dropshipping still is very intriguing to me. And there are a few communities. If you want to check them out, e-commerce fuel and store coach are my favorite dropshipping resources who talk about SEO. So it's certainly possible people are out there doing it for our kinds of authority sites though. Gail, what do you think? Good idea, bad idea. I mean, do you have an idea of the profit margins this may, these people make after paying for Facebook ads and dropshipping the products? Like what are we talking about in terms of profit? I do. And people recommend different things. So I do have some numbers. It's worth noting here before we talk about them that numbers in e-commerce are always a source of debate because the data is so difficult to get because it comes solely from people's backends, right? That said, the latest study I read about conversion rates was 1.5%. That can give you an idea. And most people recommend drop shipping products that are between $25 and like $200, which seems to be a sweet spot of people not wanting that much customer service, but also providing a good profit. And the average margin is usually around like between 20 and 40%, depending on the products. What a lot of the people who talk about drop shipping uh, like to do is just set a minimum dollar amount for their profit. So they're going to say, okay, I don't want to sell any product that's, 
not going to earn me $20 or something. But does um, that count so, traffic cost as well when you do Facebook ads? I don't know if it's for the Facebook community. I'm not sure what they would be talking about in terms of profit, but you know, we'd have to dig into some of what they're saying. But okay. obviously, yeah, the if you're buying ads, the profit margin is going to be smaller uh, and definitely more difficult. And the reason I'm asking these questions is I see all these people like with their e-commerce store, et cetera, and they're like, oh, my God, I sold like 100K of products, et cetera, like trying to flash these numbers in your face when you talk to them. And then you're like, how much, how much profit did you make? Oh, like three and a half K or something. <laughs> Basically, a lot of people have like large numbers of sales and that excites newbies a lot. And that's very, very exciting. But then if you take off all the costs, the profit margins are like, you know, and, and even 10%, it's like, it's, it's good. I mean, it's great to make 10K a month with that kind of, and kind of stuff, but 100K of sales is quite an achievement on its own. So... You know, the numbers look flashy, but the profit margins scare me a little bit in that stuff. And I'm always asking myself, like, what else can I do with that time, you know? Because, like, you know, making $20 of profit per product, like, you can make that with info products, right? And, you know, you can reach conversion rates that are quite similar. You're not relying on, like, a producer, etc. You don't have customer service as much. You don't have shipping that, you know, stuff that is lost at sea when you shipped it from China or, like, all that stuff. And I'm not saying we'll never do drop shipping, but it needs to be more like in the context of like starting something bigger, like a real e-commerce, like even like in the perspective of one day having our own warehouses and like, you know, going, going really deep. I feel it's a great first step to get into that. Would I make that my angle with what I know? And it's like, I'm not a specialist in this, so take this with a grain of salt. I feel sometimes there is like other things you can do that could produce as much profit. I hate to be sort of like the negative person today. I promise some of the later things are more positive. But again, (laughs) I think it's a bad idea. I think the barriers to entry in this space are very, very low. The sort of motivation of the suppliers who tend to be sort of, you know, like Chinese, uh, not always, but like Chinese kind of manufacturers or big manufacturers, they don't like care about exclusivity and like, you know, just supplying to you. They want to sell to as many people as possible. So if you can set this up, so can anyone else. And more often than not, they do. So the real kind of differentiator then becomes your site and your ability to to run ads. And if you're good at so, running ads yeah. to a dropshipping product, then you know if you have your own product, be that info product or physical product, and we'll talk about that shortly, your margin is gonna be way, way higher. Uh, I also think that the products tend to be quite generic. They can often be lower quality since you have no influence in how they're designed or in the quality control or the branding of the the products. The margins for sure are lower than um, owning the the supply chain. Refunds are a real hassle because uh, often like the there'll be like long shipping times and you know how does it go back? How is it managed? It's a huge that kind loss, of thing yeah. is definitely definitely a big issue. You have kind of double the customer support because the customer from their perspective, they're just working with you but you don't really have that much control over customer service. So it really comes down to the supplier. So you have to manage the customer and you have to manage the supplier. So it's kind of like a three-way conversation that's always going on there. It's a bit difficult. There are limitations in terms of what you can do with upsells and stuff as well. Just in general, I think it's a nice way to start and it's a quite a, like a low commitment. There's not too much investment, not too much time to sort of get it going, which is great. But I think there are severe limitations on how far you can go with with drop shipping. There are obviously people, you know, I'm sure there are a few people out there making millions out of it. But in the long term, most of the people who are, at least I've met or I know that make the sort of seven, eight figure businesses tend to be on the, the complete supply chain and do sort of more FBA type stuff. Yeah. And just devil's advocate, I do think it's worth pointing out that like on a lot of the major marketplaces, FEI, Empire Flippers, that sort of thing. Dropshipping does seem to be making a run at those top spots with the highest profitability mm. and stuff. So I was just looking at Empire Flippers while while we were talking. Out of the top 10, like three are dropshipping stores. And these are, um, you know, that's like 15, 20K profit When you range. say top, top so 10, what there. do you mean? The multiplier or the amount they're going for? The amount they're going for. Okay. What are the multiplier is, uh, but, on that kind know, of site? I would imagine it would be lower. 
or rather I'm, I'm sorry. Well, the, I'm, these are actually sort of by profit, but they're seem to be around the same 30 times monthly or something. Empire flippers is always a little bit low and that's what I'm looking at. Drop shipping stores on FEI tend to go for a little bit more. No, I'm talking about ones that are not FBA. Okay. These are drop shipping stores because Empire Flippers makes that distinction. Which is interesting. And there's certainly, like, looking at this, there's a lot more what they classify as FBA and e-commerce, which e-commerce would be independent of drop shipping and FBA. And there's a lot more of those, but I think it's just interesting that drop shipping seems to be appearing as like in the tops of these profitable lists on the marketplaces. But yeah, big downside for sure, in my view, if I was thinking about this, would be customer service. You're probably looking at at least one person you have to hire to deal with it or an agency or third party or something. And then, yeah, working with suppliers and stuff. It's just a lot of logistics if you're going into this. But, you know, some of our role models, like Dr. Axe, that was his big move. He went to drop shipping. It can often be like a good sort I'm of not sure you first step into physical products. Like if you start with drop shipping, kind of test it, test the water, make that work, then move on to you know sourcing the products yourself and kind of building your own version of the the product you're currently selling. I definitely think that can be a good good angle. And I wasn't aware that that's what Dot Tracks did, but uh, it, it sounds like a good strategy. As I say, it's a good place to start if your strategy is to go further. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. Dr. X now, he owns the supply chain, you know? Yeah, big time. Um, and that's where, like, you know, they don't make 20% margin. They make, like, 70. And and that's that's powerful. It's a great, that's a great way to create the demand and then just grow from that. But it shouldn't be the end goal. That's the only thing I'm saying. And But at the same time, you know, looking at all these listings on Empire Flippers, maybe we're not the most qualified people to talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think basically we're just going to have to do a podcast after we start dropshipping on health ambition. We should interview someone that does this stuff. Like, we should bring someone in that actually does it. I think that would be... Steve Chu. uh, All right. Our guy, Steve Steve Chu. Yeah, we should should have him on. Okay, next one. Let's stop talking about dropshipping. Next one. Privately sold ads. This one has also always been interesting to me, mostly because... I see very few people at our level doing it, but I see huge amounts of resources going into this for major sites like Huffington Post, Gawker, that sort of thing. They have whole sales divisions who are selling ads. One of my best friends, actually, believe it or not, used to drive around Chicago trying to sell ads for a website. I used to do this for a medical website. I would call doctors and try to sell ads on our website. So, How does it work? Um, How much does it cost? A lot. And that's one of the appeals of privately sold ads. If you're ringing up a company with a big ad budget and you say, hey, we have a banner ad and it costs you $400 a month, they may not even ask you how many impressions you have. You can just sell it, you know? Or if, if you're a site like Huffington Post, you can just send them a media kit with a bunch of impressive numbers and people might pay $1,000, $5,000. I don't know how much it is. Surely it's not cheap. Or sometimes you might sell them at a reasonable rate and you just have so much traffic that it adds up, you know? But privately sold ads don't occur much in our space from what I've seen from my friends, colleagues, and students, but there are platforms that can help you do it. Like Buy Sell Ads is one of the more famous ones, even though every time I've tried to use it, I've gotten no response. But we do talk about it sometimes on our site. We just stopped using them, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Just like yesterday. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It worked for a while. That's a good segue. With that as context, do you think it's still a bad idea? Do you want to talk about it? Go for it. Okay, I was going to say, I feel the people that buy ads that way are the same people that still go to travel agencies, you know? Like, they they just don't know how to use the internet to buy traffic or whatever. And they just get screwed over by, like, a middleman. But at the same time, if you want to be that middleman, it might be a good business model. You know, if tomorrow... After we rebrand Health Ambition, Mark and I hire like a salesperson, like reaching out to all these supplement companies and trying to sell them banners. I'm pretty sure we can make that profitable. There was one website, I forget what it was, like in the finance space, which I think they built their own platform for their own on-site, the the penny penny order, yeah. And that's like, you know, hugely profitable for them. So uh, on that scale, in that space, it works. I I think in like the the sort of Huffington Post type level, probably attracts more like A-listers and, you know, you can like actually go into the sort of Manhattan office of a big brand or a big ad agency and like do a deal or something like that. 
for health ambition with buy sell ads it was like the worst of the worst like banner ads. it was it like was the, bad, the yeah. kind of people who <laughs> their first banner ad or the first you know affiliate marketing campaign would be something like this you know just horrible stuff so it, it can often they were just into yeah. clickbank and like it can it often was look bad. bad and the click-through rates are were, were terrible on, on on the banner ads as well <laughs> so yeah not not a lot of value creation there on either end yeah, uh, the thing is, like, for Penny Holder, they do it more for, like, sponsored content. I mentioned it earlier. Like, they do it for sponsored content. Like, we write a post, you pay us, like, 500 bucks for the post, and then every thousand views, you pay us 100 bucks. And then they, they drive traffic to that post. So, but, like, it would kind of go together. It's kind of like, if you're an authority site owner, you develop that media kit and you offer multiple products. And I would say the, the star product is actually sponsored content. Like, it feels like the um, the banners are like at the dead at this point. Like unless you're using like you know AdSense or like some kind of like automated network that will show mostly retargeting, which is what basically the only thing that works these days or almost. It feels a bit old school, etc. But at the same time, if you just like sell sponsored content, you might as well say, "Hey, we also have a banner. You want to buy the banner as well?" And kind of like place it as an upsell. So I feel it's kind of like a combo together of like old school sales tactic and reaching out plus multiple advertising products. And you can even have, you know, the some media some magazines do that, like the site takeover where the background of the site transforms into an ad for a for a brand and like the colors of the site change. And then they pay a lot of money yeah. for that. So you know, let's just add something I'm to that um, on health ambition for the longest time we had forward slash advertise page and uh, there was like a it wasn't very good but there was something resembling a media kit on there which sort of encouraged people to you're optimistic to, 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 on this yeah so um, <laughs> but good site that does it is uh, what's that big big health site not Dr. X the other one um, yeah my body green they have a really good media kit so you go and check that one out but they have, I think it's like minimum $5,000 commitment for like an engagement with them. For ours, we obviously didn't do anything like that. And we didn't want to deal with this sort of interaction. So we just linked people to buy, sell ads. I have no idea if anyone clicked on that or how successful it was. But the fact that MindBodyGreen do it, I know they're a much bigger site, probably suggests that there's there's something in there. So I think on that level, it can work. And it's not not such like an old school, as you said, tactic. But yeah. No, it just needs to be like a strategy with multiple products and the banners are just one of them where, where sponsored posts are sold together yep. with that, with like site takeover, with all of that. And then you're like presenting your stuff and just upselling, upselling, yep. upselling. Just to clarify as well, I mean, buy, sell ads is, I mean, we, we've removed them now just because we're so changing our ad strategy around. But, you know, we made tens of thousands of dollars off of that platform over the years. So, yeah. you know, there's mm-hmm. money in it. Yeah, just to add my two cents, when I have examples from the site that I used to work at that I think are still privately sold ads, but when I was there, we had no ad networks at all. It was just basically me and one other person calling people to get these ads placed on the website, and they did really, really, really well. You know, They were a company that was supporting employees and stuff. They had a few other things that they sold, but the revenue model for the website was these probably sold ads. So I think maybe one of the trends is mm-hmm. that you either need tons of traffic and a name where you can command high prices from A-list ad buyers, or you need to be in a space like the Penny Hoarder or this medical company I was working for where you have a highly specialized audience who spends lots and lots of money. But for like here, Pup, I don't think there would be any chance. I feel the branding is very important for this as well. Like mm-hmm. you're basically selling your website. So like, you know, it needs to look squeaky clean. It needs to like be something people want to associate themselves emotionally with and associate the company they've worked for. Like they've worked with like a long time or like, you know, the essentially the safety of their job with like, I feel like you need to be really clean and have like a, a fancy looking side that, you know, almost the people you're selling to wish they had, you know? Yeah. All right. Next one. Info products and digital products, these can be the same thing. They can be different things. Info product could be something like an an ebook, and we have a really good post on how uh, Galen Mark turned blog post or a category into an a ebook. Post, yeah. 
that made $2,500 a month of passive income. It's really good. You can check that out. We'll link it in the show notes. A digital product might be something like my friend Susie does. She has a quilting website. She's this badass quilter and she's popular in that space and she sells free quilting patterns for $9 and that's the bulk of her revenue and she does really well. So info and digital products can be lots of different things. I think a lot of times we think of them as mostly ebooks in the internet marketing space, but they could be other things. So that's a little bit vague, but for people who have authority sites, Mark, I love it. Think? Yeah, idea, fantastic. Idea. I think that... Wait, hold on. You're <laughs> yeah. supposed to be negative. No, no, Mark. no. I, I mean, really, info products are amazing. The sort of danger that you just have to be careful of, it's not like a, a set thing that, you know, you write an ebook and you, you make a lot of money. Most of the work comes from actually the funnel that goes around it and, and, and everything else outside of the actual content of the product itself, like your trust, your authority, that kind of stuff. If you already have that, and especially if you're already promoting other info products, digital products as an affiliate, then it's a really easy switch to start doing these, doing these yourself. It does require a bit of upfront sort of time on your end as a, as a creator. So that's why it's worth sort of testing ideas and validating that. But once, once you've built it, it's relatively painless. I mean, obviously there's a bit of customer support in there and you know, your, your refund rate, just cause it's digital products can be a lot higher. You might have some payment issues here and there, but these are very minor compared to the types of issues you would have with say, uh, you know, drop shipping or physical products. So I, I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. More people should do it. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the reason info products are amazing is because refunds are easy to process. The marginal cost is zero other than payment processing fees with, you know, PayPal or Stripe, but they're like less than 2%. It's not a lot. And they still sell pretty well if you know what you're doing. Like, it's not as high as like a physical product, but... It's really like if you, you know, you can get to this like 1.5% that you mentioned earlier quite convincingly. The thing is all about getting targeted traffic, which, you know, we do with our blogs personally, but like we're actually starting to dabble into Facebook ads to do that as well. We do that a lot. We like it a lot. It's, it looks old school a little bit, but people still pay for information, always have. I mean, like books are info products, essentially, and like so are movies, etc. So, yeah, very good idea. And you can even start a website with info products. Obviously, it's a little bit more complicated than doing effort marketing. Uh, we like to start with effort marketing, then flow into info products. But I know Mark and I is going to be a big focus of, of ours yeah, next I, year. Yeah, I did actually. an interview a couple of weeks ago with uh, Josh from Expert Photography. It's like a seven-figure site. And I asked him if he was starting from scratch again, what would he do? And he said he would create an info product straight off the bat and run ads to it. So... There you yeah. go. I also really like it because it can be a good way to monetize a niche site that might be struggling in other realms. And I went through this with my friend Susie. She had this great site. She had large, highly engaged social social audience, but she wasn't having very much success with Amazon Associates and she wasn't having very much success with ads. So I was like, you know, what does your audience want? She's like, well, they want quilting patterns. I was like, what do you think he can sell them for? She's like nine bucks. And so she just does these amazing quilting patterns that she's highly equipped to do and people want. And, you know, she sells them one at a time. She just releases one per month. And then now she has a small library and she does really well. She makes thousands. I mean, she's, she, it's a full-time job for her now. And she's only basically selling these tiny $9 digital products. So maybe an offshoot of digital products we can cover quickly is courses, something like we do at Authority Hacker, which is, you know, like TAS or or Authority Hacker Pro. But we also see this with sites like MindBodyGreen, who sell like video courses for $100 or something. For standard authority site, the way our audience likes to build them, what do you think, Gail? Good idea, bad idea to do a course? I mean, it's kind of like similar to info products to me. Like, how do you differentiate the course and the digital products? I mean, the digital product, I guess, is like the, the kilts patterns. But they sell the same way. They have the same advantages and same disadvantages to me. Which, I, think, I think there's a difference in the sort of price point. Generally, a sort of course, yeah. as we, right. if we're talking about something like the authority site system or AH Pro tends to be like you know at least in the in the three sometimes four figure range and in order to be profitable on facebook ads with sort of cold traffic you you need your cart value to be 
obviously varies niche by niche, but generally in the hundreds of dollars as opposed to the tens of dollars. So there's a definite, definite um, kind of advantage there. So, yeah. I think people expect more from courses too. If someone buys a $27 ebook, they don't expect it to be life-changing. If someone invests a bunch in a course, they will expect a lot from it and they're going to expect to interact with you and maybe be part of a community or something. So I think the... And they expect more expertise. So I think maybe the barrier of entry is a little bit higher and the expectations for the product are a little bit higher, which probably means that not everybody can do it. I couldn't have done a dog training course for here, pup, because I just don't know how to train dogs. You know, I've got yeah, some. Yeah, but you could have used your money to to hire that's someone hard, to do though. it. That's hard, though. I mean, yeah. we've experienced that yeah, ourselves on, on health ambition. It's difficult to hire someone to create a course. I'm keen to keep trying to to do it better. But there's just so many things that you need to like keep updating and like the sort of deal structure of that can be quite difficult if you're sort of building someone up as the personality, like a, no, I'm not talking about fake persona, I'm talking about a real person here, their leverage over you becomes much, much higher. So you kind of have to like cut people in, in equity deals and, and this kind of stuff, which could, can work. Isn't that right, Perrin? In general, like it's quite hard to find people to, to do that with over a long period of time. We do see Mind Body Green doing that though with uh, they'll send like videographers out to different experts and yoga experts or whatever on the film of course or whatever and who knows what they pay them but that's what they do. Another digital product that I think is very different is memberships and I've been looking into this for years I think and there are different types of memberships. There's memberships that are maybe in the $100 range, which is something like you might find on a finance website. Probably the most popular membership in the internet marketing space is going to be the Survival Life membership, which they brand as a society and they have lots of different eBooks and they essentially sell you a library of survival content for like $19 a month. Last I heard, the last thing they published on that, they're making $400,000 a month from only their membership for their website. And I believe that's still the primary way they monetize Survival Life, which is Digital Marketer's flagship site. And there's also microcontinuity programs, which are kind of popular in small sects of the internet marketing space, where you'll sign people up for like, five or seven dollars a month or maybe have a freemium product or something but you ask people to join a membership for your site for a really small amount of money and sort of bank on higher conversions i think there are lots of downsides for memberships but tell me what you guys think Gail. the main downside of membership is you have to convince people every month to keep paying it's hard especially after some time when people are like you know at the beginning there's like the surprise there's new stuff etc over time it's it's hard and what we found, and Atari Hacker Pro was a membership initially, and we found that actually it was much easier to essentially figure out how long people stayed and, you know, book the price as a one-off and sell it as a course. Essentially, you can do that. So if you're doing pure info stuff, then I would say I prefer selling it as a course personally. I find it easier and, uh, and, and it's, you know, just uh, less tiring in the end. What I like the idea of membership for, though, is as an upsell. So, like, we say we're going to work on info products on health ambition. Let's say we sell an ebook for, like, $27. Then I'd love to, like, offer a very small service, like a premium newsletter or something, where there's, like, two in-depth newsletter with, like, actionable tips people receive per month. It's literally just an email list. People will pay, like, $9 per month to be on there or something, and it's not a lot of work for us, and it could be producing thousands of dollars to produce two emails. Like, it would cost us a couple of hundreds. Definitely interesting, but, like, making it your main product, I'm less and less of a fan of it. So I think memberships are great in, uh, like, B2C kind of realm. So as Gail mentioned, we tried it for Authority Hacker. It didn't work, but it, I mean, it did work. It's just that we felt packaging as a one-off course would be better. And I mean, it's hard to say, but like, I think we were right with that. The main benefits of memberships are sort of guaranteed monthly recurring revenue. And when you start doing your uh, cohort analysis or whatever it's called, that, that can really stack up to be quite a lot of money. And, you know, little optimizations like extending the lifetime or, you know, having a win me back 
type offer or like uh, stop the cancellation strategies, all these little things here and there can really have huge impacts on, uh, you know, lifetime value of customer, which is kind of what you're seeking. One of the major downsides I see from having a membership model is that you're spreading out your revenue or your income over a long period of time. With a course, you're front-loading your income, and that allows you to quickly reinvest that in, for example, ads or paid traffic. So if, if you're looking to do that, then you want to try and get as much money as possible up front rather than over time. Otherwise, you may have sort of cash flow issues and even like predictability issues in terms of understanding how long people are going to stay. And I will say as well, there tends to be a bit of a pressure, as Gail mentioned, to release content like every month and something new every month. People are paying, let's say someone's paying $10 a month. When they first join month one, they get access to a library. Okay, great. So what are they getting month two? Well, they're still getting access to that library. Have you added any new content? If not, then maybe it's a, maybe they start questioning it more. Now, the flip side of that is you also get a lot of people who sign up and just, you know, don't manage their personal finances very well, don't check their outgoings and they'll just they'll never use your product but they'll keep paying you for years until their credit card expires now uh, is that ethical or not i mean that's kind of down to you it's certainly something we've done in the past when we had our our agency some of those models there but i know who um, you're talking about but yeah i mean that's 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 kind of the reality of 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 membership as well i would also say this at least in our experience we did get quite a lot of cheapskates who would like buy the course for like $47, download everything and then refund kind of things. That seemed to happen a lot more when there, there was less at stake. I'm not sure why, because we have the same refund policy then and now, but. Yeah. Because people like take less risk. Imagine we say no, they lose $47. If they pay yeah, $1,000, it's true. a little bit different, you know. I think uh, if you guys want to see some good memberships, if you're out there wondering if you can do one, there are a couple that I thought of when Gail was talking about premium newsletters. One is Market Beat, which is run by my friend Matt Paulson. It's a primary way he monetizes his website. And I think it's a premium newsletter and there's a free $15 a month and a $34 a month option. The other one that is popular in our industry run by one of the pioneers of our in- industry who passed away, I think, last week, uh, so rest in peace, is Eric Ward's newsletter, which was the Link Moses newsletter, and it was premium for $9 a month, sold it through his blog. So those are two really good examples if you do want to go that route. We are running pretty long on time, so we have. I'm going to cut a few of these off, but let's do a, a, at least these next three because I think they're really good and worthwhile and lots of people will be interested in them. Kindle books, something that people are doing more and more these days, and there are a few people in our space, members of Authority Hacker, who crush it with Kindle books. One guy in particular you may have heard of, Steve Scott. He runs authority.pub. He's always crushed it with Kindle books in you know the mid-five-figure range. And there's lots of benefits to a Kindle book, too. However, you may not know how to do it. And they may be difficult to sell, and they tend to take a lot of time investment up front. So would you guys do that? I know you wrote the ebook that you sold on site for Health Ambition. Do you think it's a good idea to do something for the Amazon Kindle Marketplace? Uh, for something like that, from a revenue generation perspective, it may be if you're looking to sort of capture some additional Amazon traffic you know, at source. If you're just selling a Kindle book you know, it's essentially the same as an ebook, more or less. You know, on Kindle versus on ClickBank, well, you tend to be able to charge a lot more on, on ClickBank, something like that for it. From a Kindle side of things, though, I know a lot of people who do this much more for sort of branding, like, hey, look at me, I'm an authority, I, I can officially call myself a best-selling author type. They, they go down that route. It, it works very well. I know people who have got like visas for the US, like special person's visas based on being best-selling Amazon authors and all this kind of stuff. So to hear, yeah, right? I mean, so it's a thing. Yeah, I mean, for for some of our sites, I would definitely consider doing this from a pure revenue generation perspective. I'm not as convinced, though I still think it's like a good like value add thing to thing to do. Yeah, I'm seeing it more as like a entry to a funnel, you know? So if you can like get sales from Amazon for people who buy information, then it's great if you have like a course to sell or a membership to sell or something like that. Like you can like 
essentially, and a lot of people do that. Basically, the strategy is like sell ebooks for like a dollar, five dollars. Like, not it's not really about the revenue; it's about people who spend money to buy information, and then offer like free download resources on URLs on their site, etc. And then they know these people buy their ebook; they have their email, and then it's like market information to them, and these people will like convert like crazy. So in that term, I think, and I feel like, for example. For you know, we need we need to work on a few tripwires for Authority Hacker. But once we have them, for example, I definitely feel like I will need to work on a Kindle book just just to capture these people. It's just like another it's a traffic source of buyers. But I feel I would do that after I have these funnels essentially. So it's it's kind of like a, a thing that you do after you're done with making your membership, making your course, making whatever you're selling as a for the book of your income. Then you use that to get people that buy it. One quick anecdote on my end. Back when I was working at Niche Pursuits, we were running a site for which the primary monetization, uh, just because it was the only thing that ended up working for that particular site, was a Kindle book, and it was something that I wrote in like I don't know a week and a half. It was maybe fifteen thousand words or something. We published it on Kindle. We did a proper launch for it, and it ended up doing really well. And one of the benefits of that product that book on the kindle marketplace is that once a book is ranking well for a niche it usually stays there so after i spent a week writing that book and we did a little launch for it sold it for like 99 cents or whatever it made a thousand dollars a month pretty consistently up until we sold the site and we were able to package it as part of the deal so you know that site wasn't making money with ads or affiliate product and uh, we were able to sell it as a source of revenue so we wrote it, spent a week on it, and it ended up making a really healthy five figures in a sale. The other thing about Kindle Books, if you're out there and you want to try it, is that you can put links in your books. So using them as a traffic source, uh, you can put like a lead gen link and push people to squeeze pages and stuff, which is really cool. This next one I know Gail has been off and on excited about for since it became kind of the gold rush. I've always hated the idea of this. So Gail and I have had plenty of debates about this, but there's no doubt that there's tons of money to be made here. And that is Amazon FBA. Usually my concerns are about how it really plays with an authority site and whether they can actually work together or whether it just ends up being its own business. But there's lots of money to be made in the Amazon FBA space. If you don't know what it is, it basically means ordering something from a supplier in China and then selling it or shipping it to Amazon using their fulfillment service, letting them store it in the warehouse and selling it on their marketplace. You just take a chunk of a profit of the profit if it sells. So Gail, what do you think? I mean, I'm not really excited about it, but I just see a strong synergy with like, you know, best type posts, like best type products, you know? Once you have one that like once you have one that does well, what you do is you try to find every best type keyword related to that product, like best text for why, and uh, and you just try to increase your volume of sales. And it feels like the next step is just putting your product in there, like just sourcing a product, putting it in there, and then just like increasing your margins from like you know as an affiliate, depending on niche, like you know two to two to eight percent, let's say, and go to like twenty thirty percent. That's when it's interesting because you have the sales already coming in. That's when. I'd be interested in doing that. And if you're not really interested in doing like a full e-commerce and like FBA, like Amazon handles the returns, it's, it's, it's easy, you know? So it feels like it takes away a lot of the downsides of e-commerce. It has a very logical progression from affiliate type posts, especially Amazon affiliate type posts, and it can increase profits by quite a bit. So I like the idea in that context. And then once you have the sales coming from your site, you can hope to like try to rank for these keywords in Amazon and actually generate more sales. So I like it in that context. Obviously, there's still like stock management, shipping, etc. It's a little bit more of a headache than just running an affiliate site. You have to decide whether you want to produce more affiliate content and be hands-off or try to increase your profit on what's working, essentially. So that's basically uh, it. I think it's, Mark, I think think it's great. I it's huge. It can be hugely profitable. I know a lot of people who do this as their, their sort of sole business they don't have their own sites they just list on amazon by the way in case anyone doesn't realize amazon doesn't read or supply most of the products on amazon.com they will it's actually other suppliers so it's 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 basically like a a marketplace fba stands for fulfillment by amazon so it really just means sort of like you're selling a product like this on amazon of course you have to source the product 
And anyone who's been to Alibaba.com knows that that is, it's its own thing. You know, there are people whose entire job is like sourcing agent and they, they just do this full time. Not speaking Chinese can be a huge issue. I know they have these, uh, this big fair in I think Canton or Chengdu or somewhere like that, that, that a lot of people go to. And then they sort of, it's very old school. You'll, you'll meet someone, you know, you'll go do some karaoke with them and then they'll take you around your, their factory and they'll show you all sorts of equipment. You'll so that's um, how you call it. then decide, okay, I want to start selling these things. But of course, the quality and the way they've designed it like has no kind of bearing on like the end user, what they would want. You know, the documentation's in the wrong language or like the branding's terrible. You can change all of that. You can make it look and do whatever you want. And generally, the factories are, are good at producing what you ask, but you have to be so specific. The like quality control is, again, it's a job in itself. My friend Nate had like several people doing quality control full time for, for him and still he had problems. Then once you actually get a good product, you have to sort of front, you know, $30,000 to a factory to do a production run, wait, you know, six weeks, then they ship it over in a container ship. All this while, they still have all your money at this point. Then it'll come into, let's say, the US, and then it'll go through customs, and there's all sorts of paperwork you have to do there. If you're selling, for example, a supplement, you have to keep sources of all the original ingredients in a separate place in case the Food and Drug Administration, I think it is, whatever that agency in the US is called, comes and wants to do a check in case someone later down the line gets sick. So there's all sorts of crazy, crazy things you, you have to do. And it really does become a sort of logistics and cash flow nightmare. That being said, but if you do all of that, and none of it's rocket science, it's just a case of, sort of trial and error, and you'll make mistakes, it'll cost money. But once you do all that, and you have your own branded product, you can make way more than 30%. You know, you're talking like 60, 70% on margin on some of these these products, because the, the price per unit when you're buying a thousand or 10,000 iPhone cases or something is, is just really, really low. And the markups can be huge. So, yeah. All right. I'm- yeah, I was just going to say all of that is still way easier than buying an apartment <laughs> in Hungary, by the way. <laughs> yeah. That's a separate podcast where our personal story Christmas that's story we- podcast. Yeah, that's when we run out of things to say about online marketing. <laughs> I think that would be more a Kindle book, guys. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Last one. Uh, we're so long, but we're just having too much fun. And that is software as a service product. So I don't have any great examples for authority sites doing this. There are obviously really good examples in the internet marketing space of people using their blogs to sell software as a service product. Probably one of the better examples is Longtail Pro, which Spencer Hawes sold via niche pursuits for a super long time. And then when I was looking at Pat Flynn's income reports a couple days ago, I saw that, and I didn't know this, that he sells a podcast player for WordPress, and it's a pretty low price product, like $8, and I think $12 is like the platinum version of it, but he does really well with it. He makes five figures a month. So, yeah, yeah I guess it. we use it actually, Perrin, you know? Oh, yeah. Did <laughs> we really? That's the one? Yeah, if, you if you go to authorityhanger.com forward slash podcast, uh, you'll, you'll see it. <laughs> right, right now, people are using it. That's funny. Okay. Anyway. Good example, then. <laughs> yeah, great example. That's funny. I didn't know that. For an authority site, what do you think? Good idea, bad idea? I mean, I think Spencer did, like, the master... Like, it was great for him. Like, the Longtail Pro, well played. It was, mm-hmm. like... He made a lot of money from this. He identified a need that, like, you know, not many people did very well at the time. And uh, he managed to, like, sneak in with, you know, a pretty amateurish product at the beginning that improved over time. But still, like, look, his play was pretty incredible. And I don't think you can come in and say that's a bad idea. Now, the problem is it only applies mostly to... It's really hard to apply to a lot of niches, like, in, in unhealth ambition, like... You know, if we wanted to make, a, I guess, a health app, I guess, maybe. But then we're competing with, like, you know, MyFitnessPal and all these really huge companies that it's not a, a keyword research play, you know. So I guess if you're, like, in a small niche, maybe that can be interesting. And to be honest, I feel like the the SaaS play is being taken over by the app play, where it's, like, it's all about right. mobile apps now. It's a much more competitive market than the SaaS market, you know. Because there's huge 
developers and most B2C markets have like apps, etc. However, in like small niches, like you can still do well. Like I'm sure if I made like an Overwatch app or something, we could have a, a small chance of making some money. Now, once again, always ask, what else can I do with that time and money? And if you're not a developer yourself, Developers are expensive, and they get more and more expensive each year. It's very, very complicated. Yeah, I think the goal. I think um, the goal here. Uh, I think Pat Flynn did it really well. It doesn't really. I don't think depend on the size of your niche. It's the idea itself. It has to be like small and robust enough that it's not really that worth for you know some big company to take advantage of market forces and come and just dominate it and bu- or build that feature into their mm. their product, which can't happen. So to go up against something like Ahrefs in the online marketing space now, you know, it's kind of pointless, really. You're not going to beat them unless you have like serious resources by it. But in the case of Smart Podcast Player, it's fantastic. Like it, there's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but there, I don't think there's anything like that that exists. If you want to put podcasts on, put a page on your site with podcasts, you know, you're embedding SoundCloud files or linking to iTunes or doing all sorts of like clunky stuff. It just doesn't look good. This is a super simple thing. I mean, you could probably write the dev brief for that in, you know, an hour. I'm sure someone could code it in a day or two. In fact, we should probably just code our own one. It would probably be cheaper. We've been using it for so long. <laughs> and that's how we Sorry, Pat. Sorry, Pat. No. Um, but remember with these things, there's uh, a lot of support as well. You have to deal with sort of browser upgrades and yeah, WordPress, uh, WordPress. if you're doing that. Plugins can be a thing. So the security issues and all of the tech stuff that comes around with with software but if you can keep it simple and you're in a sort of small enough space that it's that there's a bit of money in there and you're you're really adding value solving a problem then yeah i mean i think it's probably uh, w- one of the quicker wins in the the, the spectrum of, of of everything we've been through today yeah so listen guys we have wait this is this is the tip of the iceberg if you're not impressed by this post i'll i don't know you guys can <laughs> leave what you want me to do in the comments. What can we do? What can we do? Mark always wants me to wear Donald Trump paraphernalia and put myself on Facebook, so maybe that's a good one. But That's going to win us a lot of subscribers. (laughs) We have tons more ideas in the blog post. Go check them out. We cut this off. We have more notes for this podcast. uh, Just a reminder, we haven't mentioned it from the start, that URL is authorityhacker.com forward slash monetize dash blog. Monetize hyphen blog. Monetize with a Z, the American way. Yeah, so we've got lots of yep. other ideas. Lot, it, it was a very heavy research, so I point you to a bunch more sources, and we give lots of examples. So if you're interested in monetization, this is going to be kind of my learning project for 2018 and trying to develop skills. That's what I'm going to be doing. Check out that blog post. All right. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.